Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Matthew. I invite you to stand in body or in spirit and honor the reading of the gospel. I invite you to read along with me in your bulletin or in your Bible. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. I'm super grateful to our choir, our many choirs or musicians today, and Kathy Roberts um, and the Chancel Choir for Be Thou My Vision just now. Uh, so grateful to be led by um, so many of you in worship. If you, um, if you are new or newer or you're visiting this community, perhaps for the first time, then allow me to share with you that we recently underwent a pretty substantial project in this space, um, FYI. <laughs> Since this building is almost 100 years old, maintenance is sometimes required. I don't know if you knew that. And in more recent days, we discovered that some of the wood in the floors had become, for lack of a better term, squishy. Uh, And I don't think that's a good word for that. Even to someone like me who's rarely handy, that seems like a question mark. And so after inspection, the trustees and our buildings and grounds folks decided that we needed to replace some things. Some of our floor joists were not up to par because over time, due to moisture, water, or what what have you, uh, they started to wear away. And by, by the way, we've taken care to update our termite policy, and to seal up some water issues that we might have had. It kind of reminds me of a seminary class I took on church planting. We would go to all these fairly new churches that had been planted, some 20 years old, some 5 years old, and we would listen to the work that Jesus had been doing in those places, but we went to one church, and the pastor sat us down, and he said, you want to know what the most important thing about church work is? Know where your water's going. And we were like, okay. (laughs) I think that guy had had a pretty tough trustees meeting just now. Um, But as of today, there are brand new floor joists sitting on new steel foundational beams where there used to be wood, and the decking and hardwood on top of the floor joists has been replaced. It's some over here, Uh, Leah, right there. If you can't notice it, then then it's been done well, and some are right over here. Um, I was told actually right here that we could park a car right here, and we would totally be fine. And then I was told after that that we're not going to be parking a car up here. And I'm sorry if that's disappointing to you like it is to me. So the floors were sanded, repolished, and stained, and it looks great. 
I really do think it does, and I'm so thankful for all the work that is done by James and the trustees, uh, by Al Robertson and his company, by Tom Cohen, most of all by Bob McCoon, who is not with us right now. Uh, he's a little under the weather, and so Bob, if you're watching online, this place looks great, and we're so thankful uh, for how much you love the church and how much you love this space. Um, and as soon as he gets back, we'll rededicate this space. Yeah. So as soon as he gets to feeling better, we will uh, rededicate this. We'll uh, have a moment to rededicate this space. Um, But it is really fitting to me that we do this today, that we're back in here on Transfiguration Sunday. Because truly, the space has been transfigured. The Greek word there is metamorphosis. And surely, this space has undergone just that. And to some of you, it may not look that way. (laughs) To most of you, it may look like the sanctuary you've always known, but a little bit spruced up. But I promise that it is not the same. In fact, the very foundation of this place has changed dramatically and has been transformed. And to me, that's perfectly in line with what Connor read a moment ago. In the chapter just before that story, in Matthew 16, after Jesus has gone around teaching and preaching and healing and telling stories and parables, just before the passage Connor read, he's with his disciples and he asks them, who do you say that I am? You remember that question, right? That's a big moment in the gospel. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then in the next chapter, Jesus takes a few of his disciples and they see what it is they have just confessed. Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up a mountain. (laughs) Sounds like the beginning of a joke. Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up a mountain. They go up with this Jesus that they've been following, they've gotten to know and they've come to trust. This is the same Jesus they've eaten countless meals with. They've walked miles and miles together. And of course, they've confessed who they think this man is. But it's one thing to know in your head. (laughs) It's another thing to know in your heart to experience something. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to know. For example, it's one thing to know what it takes to put a sanctuary floor back together. (laughs) And it's another thing, I think Bob and James and Al could tell us, to be right in the middle of it, to see what's needed, to experience it. It's one thing to know what marriage is, the vows and the commitment. It's another thing to experience it, to know what it is. It's one thing, I imagine, to know what it means to parent a child. And I, I, I really do imagine that it's a whole other thing to experience it. <laughs> There's a couple of chuckles. Um, my mentor used to put it this way, you may know But do you know that you know? And in the story of the transfiguration, these three disciples follow their teacher up a mountain, having just confessed, having stated their faith in him as their deliverer, their Messiah. In other words, they know. But I imagine that their walk down the mountain is a little different than their walk up the mountain. (laughs) They've lived that knowledge. Now they know that they know. They've experienced something intense and unlike anything they've ever come across. Peter talks about it in his letter, 2 Peter, when he says, we were there. We saw it with our own eyes. We were there on the mountain with him. We heard the voice. We couldn't honestly be sure of what we saw or what we heard, but we were given a glimpse. We were given a vision, and we will never forget it. That, to me, sounds like the words of a guy that knows he knows. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And what was the moment he's describing, that transfiguration moment? John Wesley paraphrases that, and this is what what he said. The indwelling deity 
darted out its rays through the veil of the flesh and with such transcendent splendor that he no longer bore the form of a servant. His face shone with divine majesty like the sun in its strength and all his body was so irradiated by it that his clothes could not conceal its glory but became white and glittering as the very light with which he covered himself as with a garment. And in that moment, these disciples have experienced. They know in a way they haven't known before. They have previously confessed with their minds, with their heads, but now they know in their hearts. They've experienced something. They have an assurance that they didn't have before. Everything is different now. The image they had of this person they've known for a while is forever altered. The very foundation of what they thought they knew has changed. Randy, Randy Reese, you reminded me of a good parallel this moment this week in Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. It's the moment when the simple hobbit named Frodo finds himself at this magnificent dinner filled with all these legendary heroes and figures he's, he's heard his whole life about. And one figure is Gandalf, the wizard, a person Frodo has grown up with. He's known this man his whole life. He's seen him light fireworks, blow smoke rings from his pipe while telling stories. Gandalf has been a mentor and a friend, but at this meal, things change because in a room surrounded by the most powerful and the most honored people from around the globe, around the map, in a room filled with legends, Gandalf happens to be seated at the place of honor. <laughs> and Frodo says to himself, I thought I knew Gandalf well, but now I see him as a lord of dignity and power. It appears that this man I've grown up hearing stories from is no mere storyteller. And just like that, the image of Gandalf that Frodo has had for years is suddenly transformed. And he sees now that a casual friend he's had his whole life is so much more. Professor Emeritus at McGill in Montreal, Douglas John Hall writes, Who has not known moments of surprise illumination? When through some outwardly ordinary act, episode, or a fragment of a conversation, someone we thought we knew fairly well is suddenly revealed in a completely new light. That's the disciples for me. They see this divine presence, greater than the Jewish heroes of old, greater than Elijah, greater than Moses even, the one who went up to the mountaintop and brought down the tablets, and his face was glistening when he came down because of the after effects of the light of God and their teacher and friend Jesus. The disciples' teacher and friend Jesus is in their presence, but, but when they see him with Moses and Elijah, he is in the highest places of honor, higher than these figures. These men who knew Jesus through their experience on the road, around Galilee, in casual settings and memorable moments, they see Jesus in a very new light and it changes things. <laughs> this moment of transfiguration. For the disciples, this is their friend. But he's in his full, fully furnished form. And it doesn't just affirm divinity, the divinity of Jesus. As one author put it, it also begins to give the disciples eyes to see God's light in the chaos to come. What does that mean? Good question. It means the transfiguration is kind of like a movie trailer that gives everything away. <laughs> it's like the bumper sticker, spoiler alert, God wins. The transfiguration moment is a glimpse into the future, at the future glory of God, a glimpse at Christ's full form in the end, and that glimpse comes with a knowledge that all will be made new, all things will be transformed, and that death is not the end. Even though death still occurs, even though 
life has to get lived, even though difficulty will still descend, even though pain will proceed, even though hurt will still happen, even though all of that, we have a glimpse at the finale, the end, the last chapter. And because of that, our lives, our moments, our days are transfigured. They're transformed. Now, I'm sure that many of you today know that redemption and reconciliation and resurrection will occur. I'm sure you know that the transfiguration of Jesus hints at the transformation of all pain and all suffering and all death. I'm certain that many of you know the ending already. I'm I'm sure of it. I'm sure you know it. (laughs) But do you know that you know it? My grandfather, on my dad's side, my dad's dad, uh, was a Methodist preacher. He was a pastor in Tennessee, in the Tennessee Conference, and after that he went on the road. He was a teacher and a preacher and an evangelist. And I've got tapes of his sermon. I don't know if you remember tapes. I've got tapes of his sermons. I listen to them sometimes. He was the kind of preacher, he would get so excited about talking about Jesus, he would grip the podium and he would stand up on his toes. And in the tapes, you can kind of hear it. I don't know how to explain it, but you just can. At some point, he had a severe stroke that left him without the use of his body. Half of his body, one whole side was paralyzed. I was young when it happened, and so I only ever knew my grandfather disabled. I do remember he taught himself how to preach again. (laughs) And I was there, I was young, but I was there the last time he preached. My My grandmother, who is a saint was his caregiver all those years. The love she had for my grandfather was strong and sacrificial, and it was an example to everybody. Oh my gosh. Over the years that followed, he he would have a few more strokes, his health declined, and in the fall of 2004, he died. And he would have been 94 today. And since, since my grandfather was pretty, it was in pretty rough shape when I was growing up, I never got to know the man as others knew him. I mean, I knew who he was because my whole life I'd heard stories of people would come up to me and say, I heard your grandfather preach at such and such, or he came and visited me at the hospital when this happened, or, or, or he was at a funeral. He preached the funeral for my, my mother or my father. I heard all these stories. I met countless people who were shaped by this man that I knew only as someone who had trouble walking and talking. So I had an image in my mind. I had the concept of who he was. I knew who he was. But this past Christmas... My grandmother handed me an old cardboard box. She said, here you go. Merry Christmas. It's not exactly how it happened. She handed me a cardboard box, and she said, this is all your grandfather's sermon journals. Um, So over the last few months, I've been slowly reading my grandfather's notes and his stories and his heart. And that image of a frail man with a cane and trouble speaking has changed drastically. One might say it's been transfigured. It's undergone a metamorphosis Because through his journals, I've been given the gift of a man who loves a good story, who loves every person he meets, and above all else, he loves Jesus. Not for what Jesus has done for him, but just because Jesus loves him. I think that's the best reason. And I've been shown, I looked it up this morning, I can't believe I read it this morning, I was shown just what my grandfather thinks of the transfiguration story in Matthew. And he wrote this, this is religion at its best, seeing the very face of redemption. So I no longer simply know who my grandfather was. The image I've had of him is no longer one of weakness or trouble moving or disability. My grandfather has become a giant, and now I know it. You know? 
The transfiguration story, my friends, is a mystery. It probably carries with it a lot of different meanings. And it's fleeting. I don't know if you know that. This moment in the Gospels, afterward, Jesus goes back to being Jesus. (laughs) And the disciples go back to being flawed disciples who forget what it is that they've seen. I know this because the disciples still fall asleep in the garden. They still run from the trial. They still hide in the upper room. But that's not the end. Because not too long after, that transfigured image that they saw a glimpse of becomes the full reality of the universe. No longer are we left with a mere glimpse of what becomes of the transforming power of Christ. That transformative power is now reality. And Jesus is no longer a wounded, beaten, crucified friend and rabbi and teacher. He has revealed himself to be a conqueror, a giant in the place of honor and power through the path of weakness and woundedness, and he has begun to transfigure and transform our pasts and our present to reflect a future of grace and hope and love and redemption. And as my grandfather wrote in the, in the resurrection, that transfiguration vision meets victory, and we are now invited to work toward the victory of that vision in the world. And friends, whether you know it or you know that you know it, the invitation to join God in this transforming work is extended to all of us. It's right there. Let's pray. Gracious God, stir within us something new. Transform us, transfigure us. Work on our hearts and our minds and our spirits. We confess to you that we fall short so often. We go to the mountaintop for a moment, but then all of a sudden... We're back in the valley. Remind us, God, of the power of your transforming presence. Remind us that that power is the reality of the universe now. And remind us that you are always in the work of transforming our past and our present so that the future looks just like grace. In Jesus' name, amen.